we're going to continue and really wrap up this series. It's a two-week little series here called Silent Nights. And if you remember last week, we talked about the and suddenly of the Silent Night, and we talked about living in between two Advents, the first Advent or coming of Christ that we just sang about, and then the one that is to come. And how it is really our job, like when you order food at a restaurant, you, you make preparations. You, I mean, you're setting up your table, you're making room, and that's kind of what we're doing in this season, and we're reminded of that, that we are to make room for what God is doing in our life and what he wants to do in our life. And so I'm going to say a lot of similar things that I said last week, but I'm going to say it in a totally different way, because I think that there's sometimes that we can hear things in a different way, a new way that God uh, wants to say it, and we're going to do it by looking at a different part of the Christmas story, and it's found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. We'll talk about what that means here in just a moment. It's very important. It says, before they came together, that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we look at this story, and it's the Christmas story, right? It's all, it's all neatly packaged, but Let's, let's step into the reality of the moment for a moment. Can you imagine how this conversation went with Mary and Joseph? Like, we're kind of engaged here. We're not married yet, but oh, by the way, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And then, oh, by the way, yeah, it's not what you think. Like, God put the baby there, you know? And uh, I mean, yeah, I know it's never happened before in history. It's never gonna happen again, but that's what happened to me. And we don't have to wonder how the conversation went because we know it went poorly because of what happens in the very next verse. It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He's like, I'm done, this is over, deal's off, and, and we're, we're done, we're moving on. But we know that Joseph was an honorable man and he didn't want to put her to shame and so he was gonna do it in such a way that didn't bring a bunch of attention to it. Um, but then an angel comes and appears to Joseph and says, hey, everything Mary said is actually true. And we see that in Matthew chapter one, verse 20. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you should call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph, he's in this moment where he has to decide whether he's going to believe God, whether he's going to believe this, uh, this, this moment and trust God in it or not, or just say, this is just crazy land. Like, I don't know if I can go along with this. But the angel appears and he said, okay, I, I feel like this is real. But meanwhile... Mary's still pregnant, and they're not married. And pretty soon, everyone's gonna know that Mary's pregnant, and they're not married, because she's gonna start to show that she's pregnant and not married. And so, uh, basically, there's this in-between time. We can call it the middle time. How many of you guys have ever been in a middle time, right? Where the, the something you're expecting hasn't happened, and you're in-between. And for Mary and Joseph, it was kind of a scandalous moment. I mean, it was kind of a moment where I mean, I'm sure people were talking. I'm sure people were wondering. I'm sure people were not believing their story. And, and that's, that's what we see is we see this middle time between where they had to live this out and its fulfillment. And not even the birth would even bring all of it to the close because we know that even James, the brother of Jesus, did not even believe that he was the Christ until after Jesus died on the cross. And so it was a long time. And they had to live this out. 
Now, I said that word betrothal is important because in, in those times, betrothal was, was like being engaged because they weren't married yet, but it was much more than being engaged. In fact, it was the only way you could break off a betrothal was by a certificate of divorce. It was that serious. So they were locked in, and it was, it was much deeper than that. It was as binding, like a binding thing. And the only way you started that process was through a written contract or through a reception of gifts by the bride or the bride's family as they would receive gifts. Now, this is important for us to see because there's a spiritual principle in this. And, and we know this in other parts of Scripture. Remember the story of Abraham trying to find a wife for his son Isaac, and they send out these people to go on a search party, and they find Rebecca, and they give Rebecca and her family a bunch of gifts, right? Well, in those times, at the moment that they received the gift, the deal was on. They were locked in. The only way to break it off was divorce at that point. But in the meantime, the bride or bride-to-be still lived in her father's house before the marriage, up until the marriage. So they received gifts, the deal is on, but the bridegroom hadn't come yet. Does anybody see a picture of kind of where we are as a church, as the church, that we have received gifts, but yet, and the deal is on. But yet we are not fully with the bridegroom yet. He's going to come back one day. In fact, we see this in 2 Corinthians. I don't have it in your notes, but 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal, watch this, his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So when God gave the Spirit, gave the Son, and then the Spirit, the deal was on. But in the meantime, we aren't there yet. So what do we do in the meantime? We're in the middle. We're in the middle as a church, as the church, and have been for quite some time. But you may have some, anybody have some middle in your life? Like maybe you're in the middle of something right now, right? Like you're not where you need to be. So how do we trust God in the middle? Because many times we're just waiting. Now, does anybody read through the scripture? And if you just be honest here for a second, when you hit those genealogies or lists of names, you just kind of mumble through those names. Anybody ever just like Abinadab, Shebadab, you know, Yabadabadu, whatever the names are, you don't know how to say them anyway, right? I, I'm kind of that way as well. But, but I found that there is some, there's a lot of depth in these genealogies. And they were there for a reason. They were there to establish lineages. They were there to establish storylines. And within them, sometimes you'll find a lot more than what it seems like on the surface. And that's why Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the New Testament, starts off with a genealogy. It's because it was so important to establish where Christ came from, the lineage of Christ, and the story that that tells but I love this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. It's part of the list of names. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Of course, Jesse was the father of David, King David. But in here, it mentions Boaz and Ruth. And I don't have time to read the whole story of Ruth. It's only four chapters. You can go home and read it. But if you remember in that story, 
Ruth needs to be redeemed. And a part of that is like her property and her name and all of those things because her husband had passed away. And then Boaz comes along and he says, I'll be the redeemer. And in chapter four, he comes and he meets with 10 elders at the city and he, he says, I'll redeem it. And then in those times that, you know, if they were making a deal, they would take off their sandal and they'd give it to the other person. I don't know what was up with that. Like, let me take this dirty thing I've been walking around with, stepping in stuff and I'll give that to you. But it was kind of like a handshake of the day. And he says, I'm going to buy all of that and redeem for Ruth. He was doing the same thing. He was placed, and as soon as the reception of gifts or the purchase was made, it was a done deal. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of what we experience. And and the sign of a healthy relationship is trust. If you have a healthy relationship in your marriage, trust is going to be there. It's a sign of health. But in this story, I want you to just think about how much trust Joseph had to have in this moment when Mary has this conversation. How much trust does Joseph have to have? Like, are you really serious? Because that would be pretty hard to believe. So I wanna help us think about it in a different way and to acknowledge that sometimes trust is hard. And so I'm gonna show this video clip of, of Joseph in a different way, helps us think about it in a different way, how much he had to trust. Let's watch. All right, old friend, let's put some hinges on you. She has been on my case for a week now about you. You know that, don't you? Oh yes, what would we do without her, huh? Mm. Mary. And to think, when it comes to Mary, I was asking a totally different question just a little while ago. What was I gonna do with her? I was just trying to understand everything, but what was there to understand? I mean, she was pregnant. She'd say over and over and over to me again, it's not what it seems, but I knew it didn't matter. It was just a matter of time before the whole community would start to question things. I started questioning who she'd been with, all my friends that I'd been duped. looks, the glares around town, the rumors, so many rumors, and it was all justifiable, every bit of it, because who is going to believe the story that we had to tell, an angel, oh, ah, sit on the floor away from windows, away from looks. And I would just say, Mary, tell me again, word for word, tell me what the angel said. And she would say the exact same thing every time. It was as if it was just seared into her. For he will be called son of the most high God. That's what the angel said. (laughs) An angel. You'd think these calluses wouldn't grab a splinter after all these years. But sometimes the right one manages 
Ooh. I have to get through. Hmm. Guess it's like that dream I had. When every bone God built me with doubted Mary, God sent an angel to me to get through. Oh, yes. Now you get to do what you do best. Now you have two jobs, all right? Keep people out or let people in. Hmm. I guess that's it. When God stands at the door and knocks, we either keep them out or we let them in. These are the only two options. It took everything, everything to let you in. But there's not a day that goes by that I am not grateful. I love that video because it shows, you know, if you're in the middle, it isn't always easy, is it? I mean, there's some reality that's there. But we have an opportunity whether we're going to open that door in the middle and trust God. And that's the, that's the opportunity that's before us because between the transaction of the gift that God gives us or the promise that God gives us, or maybe you've got a prophetic word you're hanging on to and the triumph of it, there is an opportunity to trust in the middle. In fact, I think that's part of the reason why, if you've ever wondered why is the middle there, why is the waiting there, I think part of the reason why the waiting in the middle is actually there is to give us an opportunity to trust. So what does it look like for trust to be present in the middle? If you're in the middle right now, what does it look like for trust to be in the middle? I'm going to share a couple things that, through the story here and what things that God was revealing to me this week of how trust manifests itself. And number one is this, trust manifests itself in an unmovable agreement with God. Like, I am going to be unmoved. I am going to agree with what God says, and there's nothing that's going to move me off of it. Like, there's no, there's no circumstance, there's no situation, there's no problem, there's nothing that is going to move me from being in agreement with God. So you have to imagine from Mary's perspective when she gets this announcement that she's going to have a baby and it's going to be a miraculous thing, like what do you do with that? Well, we see what she did with that in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. It says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. And if that wasn't fantastic enough, let me just throw in another thing. By the way, you remember your relative Elizabeth who has been barren? and it, Well, in her old age even, she now is also pregnant. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, Mary had an opportunity, just like Joseph would eventually have an opportunity to decide what to do with this. Do I just say this is crazy or do I come in agreement with God? And I love what Mary does. She says, she says this, behold. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
She says this, I am going to come in 100% agreement with God and nothing is gonna move me off of it. Doesn't matter how crazy it is. Doesn't matter what the circumstances say. Doesn't matter what other people say. I will not be moved. That's what trust does in, a, in the middle. If you're in the middle, it's, now listen, it doesn't mean you're not gonna have moments of doubt. You're gonna have moments of, of a wavering time. You're, that's natural, but what it does mean is it says, whenever I have that wavering moment, I know where I'm coming back to. I know where my feet are planted. I know what, I, I know what is going to happen. I, and you have labeled the situation right that I'm going to be 100% in agreement with God. See, Mary in that moment, she could have labeled her situation being pregnant and not being married as a shameful moment or a scandalous moment. Or I can't be, I, I can't be a part of God's story because of what's happened to me, no one will believe me. She could have written herself off, but she labeled it right, and she says, let it be according to your word. See, and again, like I said, you might have moments where you're like, I don't, but you, you come back and you say, I am going to decide what takes root in my life. You realize you get to decide what takes root in your life. I've always used the five-second rule. I've told you about this, that you know, with food, if you have a five-second rule with food, you, everybody knows this. It's scientifically proven that if food falls on the ground, within five seconds, it's uncontaminated, right? You are still good to eat it. Kids know this. It's, it's, just, it's just the law of God, you know? I don't know where it's at in Scripture. It's probably in the Hebrew or Greek somewhere. Haven't found it yet, but you know that it's there. Five seconds. You got five seconds. I started to use this in my own life that anytime there's a negative thought, or a thought that doesn't agree with what God says about me, or some label that tries to be put on me, I do not let that thought exist longer than five seconds. I just do not let it live. Why? Because if that thought takes root, what's gonna happen? It's gonna grow into something more. So many times we let thoughts take root and we begin to have these labels in our life, but you get to decide what takes root. You get to decide what gets the megaphone in your heart. You get to decide what gets airtime in your thoughts. You get to decide it. That's the wonderful thing. You're not at the mercy. Yes, thoughts will come that you're not the architect of every thought that comes into your mind, but you get to decide what happens with the thoughts when they are there. And, and you get to decide how you're labeled and whether you agree with God or not. Because here's the truth. Wrong labels derail destiny. I don't know what would have happened had Mary you know, chosen to take a wrong label in this circumstance. I, I can't parse all that out, what would have happened. But I'm fairly confident had she not come into agreement with God, the story would be quite different. But you know the same is true in our life. The, the moments we don't come into agreement with God, our story is different than what God's potential is for our life. And wrong labels derail destiny. Why? Because labels define use. It tells us how to use things. If you go into the grocery store, there are labels all over the place that tell you how to use things. I was in uh, Tennessee a couple weeks ago, and we went into one of those. Have you ever been in one of those places where it's like uh, all these samples of hot sauces? Has anybody ever been into those places? Like you can see all of the sauces, like from mild all the way. I always go into those stores, and I go to find the hottest one they have. And I'm like, I, tell me what it is, Carolina Reaper, the death one, whatever it is, like I'm gonna go for that one, and I'm gonna eat a spoonful of that. And so we went back, and a couple of, I talked to a couple of the guys who were with us. I was like, let's go back and try it, you know? And so we went back there, and, and we're all trying it, and their lips are falling off. They're blistered. They can't eat any food, you know? And it was great. I, I loved it, sweating and all that type of stuff. Uh, and I actually brought, brought one 
from home. This one's called, uh, it's called ghost pepper hot sauce. It's scary hot, that's what it says. One drop of this, I mean, you'll either come alive or die. It's like one of the two. It's like, you, there's no in between, right? And I think Pastor Aaron got this for me, but, but this stuff is the real deal. Now, for some of you, if I were to repackage this in one of those like Taco Bell mild packets, you guys know what I'm saying? I put this in it and you just put that all over your eggs this morning. Some of you would not be here this morning, would you? How many of you guys would have trouble with that, right? Why? Because how it's labeled informs us on how we're to use it. I'm gonna go so far as to say this, the same thing works with God. How things are labeled, how we label ourselves defines how we get to be used. Think about this, God of the universe, all powerful, created everything, but do you know what? The way you label yourself limits his power. You have the ability to limit the amount of power of God in your life because of how you label yourself. That, that right there is gonna set somebody free today. Because God is a God who can do more than you ask, more than you think, more than you can dream up. There's a limitless God out there, but he can be limited by the labels we put on ourselves. And the truth is, the only one who can define you is the one who made you. I love what Chris said the other, a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, I may have been diagnosed with this thing, but it's not my identity. I'm gonna label myself in a way that God labels me. And here's what I would say, don't accept any label that God didn't put on you. You can go that, you can take that anywhere. Don't, take any, don't accept any thought that God didn't give you. This is just a spiritual discipline even that you can get into and don't accept any label that God didn't give you. Listen, I know some people who have more resources than they ever have in their life, yet they still think poor, act poor, everybody treats them like they're poor. Why? Because they never got rid of that label. I know some people who are healthier than they've ever been, yet they still are afraid of every sickness. They act like they're concerned about it all the time. Why? Because they never dropped some label. And you could go on and on and on down the list. Because how we label ourselves is important. And that's why it's important for us to come into 100% agreement with God and to not be moved. And if you are in the middle right now, here's my encouragement to you. Find out what God says and plant yourself there. Find out, is anybody getting this? Because... I'm just making sure, because I could stop right now, you know? I mean, we've already done two and a half services, you know? We, we can keep going or not, but plant yourself where God is. That's what trust looks like, when you plant yourself where God is. See, problem is, some of us have written ourselves off. We've written ourselves out of the story of God. We've written ourselves out of God's plan for our life, but God never did. I mean, go, go back to the, the, the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Look at this. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Anybody know the story there? Rahab? This is the lineage of Christ. Remember, the, the children of Israel were going into Jericho. The spies went in. They're getting ready to go in the promised land. And they're seeing the city of Jericho. And the spies go in there. And Rahab was one of the few people who recognized what God was getting ready to do. And she said, when you come in and overtake this city... Spare me and my family. They said, all right, anybody who's in your house will spare them. Put a, a ribbon outside your window and, and you will be spared. And they came in. You know the story. They marched around the city. Walls fell down flat. Rahab was spared. And then she is found in the lineage of Christ. The thing we know about Rahab is that she was a prostitute before she encountered the people of God. 
Here's what I want you to know. God can take any story and he can turn it around for his good. He's the God of the great reversal. And you, you, it doesn't matter what is going on in your life. He can reverse it and use it for his good. See, and, and here's my encouragement. Write yourself back into the story because God never wrote you out. God never wrote you off. But because of our labels, because we've decided to agree with something that was other than God, we've been written out of the story when God says, I'm gonna write you back in. So trust manifests itself in 100% agreement with God. And listen, here's what some of us do. We play the what if game. Have you ever played the what if game? Like, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes bad? What if, if this progresses? What if this bad thing happens? Faith doesn't play the what, faith plays a certain type of what if game. Faith plays a what if game, but it goes like this. What if God does something surprising? What if God shows up in a way I couldn't see? What if God does something I didn't see come? What if God is bigger than what I think? That's the what if game that, that faith plays. And so anything that comes into your life that does not have God's, that it was not there by permission from God, don't make a home for it, don't make it comfortable, don't get attention for it, don't try to nurse it, don't try to make a, a, a little place for it to live, evict it. Evict it, get it out of there. Don't let it live. That's how trust works. All right, number two is this. Trust manifests itself in untimely worship. Worship that seems out of place. Seems like it shouldn't be there. Like, why would you worship there? So Mary's in the middle right now. She's in the middle of this promise, but kind of a scandal at the same time. And I love what Mary does because before Jesus is even born, in the middle of this moment of her trying to follow God, she takes time out to worship. What's incredible is that we have it written down in Scripture. Most of us don't even realize this, but Mary sings a worship song that she wrote in Scripture, and it's found in Luke chapter 1. Verse 46, listen to the words that she says. This is a worship song to God. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You realize how much faith it took to sing that song? Because in the natural, there was no way to know that. In the natural, all the nations would have called her cursed, would have called her ashamed, would have called her an outcast. But she has enough faith in the moment to be able to see that one day the nations will call her blessed. She worships in an untimely moment. It says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She keeps on going, but I want you to understand and see about this. She hasn't seen any of these things yet in the natural, yet she sees them in the spirit. And so she sings about them by faith. By faith, she sings about something she could only see in her prayers. She could only see in the Spirit. But here's what you have to understand by faith. If you're in the middle right now, faith sees before. Faith worships before. Faith does things in an untimely way in the natural, but a perfectly timed way in the Spirit. Trust manifests itself in that way, and worship actually wins the war. If you're in a battle right now, I want you to understand worship wins the war. Why, why does worship win the war? Well, in the natural, in this cultural we, culture, we celebrate after the victory, right? And we sing, we are the champions, my friend, right? We all, you know, the champagne's flying every time after there's a, a championship game that is won. And we celebrate it and 
And we do it when? We do it after the victory. But how many of you guys know in the kingdom of God, things are right side up? So in the kingdom of God, the, the celebration happens actually before the battle. Because that's what faith looks like. And in fact, they used to do this in the Old Testament all the time. You could see over and over and over again, before they would have a battle, they would send out the worship team out into the battle. And, you know, I can just hear them saying, we are the champions. You realize how taunting that had to be to the enemy? Like, they haven't even fought yet. And they're like, we won. We won, you guys, you know. That's what faith looks like. It worships in an untimely way. Seems out of place. But that's what faith does. So we talked about last week, we talked about your and suddenly. If you're in the middle right now, let me just say and speak encouragement to you, your and suddenly is on its way. Your breakthrough is on its way. But pay attention to which side of the breakthrough worship happened. So many of us are waiting to worship until the breakthrough happens. But the kingdom of God is right side up. Worship always happens on this side of the battle, on this side of the victory. Worship always happens before the victory. That's a sign of faith. That's trust. Because here's here's the truth. If you're in the middle right now, when your eyes are inward and on your problems and on your situation, when your eyes are inward and downward, your sorrows seem multiplied and your possibilities seem limited. But when you get your eyes up on Jesus, how many of you guys know that your joy is multiplied and your possibilities are endless? Because for with God, all things are possible. And somebody needs to get that in their spirit right now. You've limited God. You've limited God. All things are possible. All things. Well, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that again. All things are possible. I don't think I'll ever be, be there again. All things are possible. I don't, I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to get that. All things are possible with God. Take the limits off of God. Worship happens in an untimely way. Galatians chapter four, verse four, it says, but when the fullness of time had come. See, usually that word untimely is used in a negative sense. Like, well, that was untimely. But in, in what may seem untimely in the natural is the fullness of time with God. But in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It seems so untimely for Mary to worship, but it was the fullness of time in God's timeline. So right now, it may seem so untimely to worship God, to celebrate something in the midst of your middle, but I'm telling you, it's the fullness of time. It is the right time. See, you know, Scripture says, uh, that not, not to let your, that, that uh, sorrow comes when your hope is deferred, right? It's not that you don't have what you want that causes hope to be gone. Hope can only exist when you don't have what you want, when you don't have what you need. That's the only time you can have hope for something is when you don't have it. And so he was like, well, I just, I want to get hope and I can't wait, I can't have hope until I have what I need. No, it's only in the absence of what you need can you have hope. And I'm gonna say worship is the same way. It's when you worship in front of the battle. That's the very time you need to do it. It's sometimes the essential time that you need to do it. But also, I mean, you guys know when you're in the middle, sometimes we can get so busy with things, right? We can get so cluttered up with things that we get distracted. 
How many of you guys have already been Christmas shopping? And it's, you probably are doing it all online now, but how many of you guys have been in Walmart or Target and you line hop like me? Like you, you're like seeing, oh, that line's gonna be faster. And so then you run over to that line. How many of you guys have ever done that? I have like this anointing to pick the longest line. Whatever line I get into is the longest line. It like creates the longest line. And, and so I just decided I'm just gonna wait in whatever line I'm in because I was getting so frustrated by line hopping. And that's the way it can be. We can get such a hectic pace that we don't slow down enough to be able to even hear God's voice. And so to kind of remind us of that in this Christmas season, I got one more video for you, but pay attention to the scripture at the end because it'll help us land this plane. So let's take a look. Hey. Welcome, I'm the Christmas search engine and I can help you find anything related to- DIY Christmas decorations. Oh, okay, um, let's jump right in, here we go. <laughs> what date Christmas this year? Uh, December 25th. What date Christmas next year? December 25th. Song that goes. I think I know what you're looking for. How cook ham. Okay. How cook ham fast? Uh... Oh, ham flamethrower recipe. Wait, what? Christmas present mom. Nice. Cheap. Nice. What day Christmas 2035? Are you serious? Is Santa Claus real? Uh, you should maybe ask your parents about that. Gift wrap bowling ball. Please be careful. Custom dog Christmas. Sorry, what? Christmas dog custom cute. Oh, you mean costume? Christmas dog costume cute! Gift wrap accordion. Uh, that's gonna be tricky. Can I drink expired eggnog? No. What happens if drink expired eggnog? Why'd you even ask me in the first place? Dealing with relatives. Okay. Dealing with nosy relatives. Oh, uh, well. Dealing with my nosy, overbearing relatives who won't stay out of my business. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's pretty much all the same stuff. <laughs> Gift wrap a saddle. Who are you buying this stuff for? Santa Claus riding a unicorn. Santa Claus riding a unicorn socks. Is that a thing? Search it up. Oh wow, here they are. Take my money. Norwegian tree skirts. How many lights, one outlet? Elf pajamas. Dog singing Christmas carols. <sighs> oh, hello. What is Christmas really about? <laughs> I've got just the thing. angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So, Jesus? Jesus. May I? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <gasps> How fix burnt ham? Okay. Uh, you know what? Forget it. Pizza delivery Christmas Eve. <laughs> no problem. I love it. Uh, all the hecticness of Christmas. Number three is this. I'm just kind of wrap it up with this. Trust manifests in an unhurried 
disposition. An unhurriedness in your soul. Watch this. It's going to be a little unique how, how I, I kind of bring this attention to this. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up from the dream, he did, from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not. Okay, You guys know what that means biblically, right? He did not consummate the marriage. Knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. For a young man getting ready to get married, how many of you guys know that's an unhurried disposition, right? That takes some trust to slow down. Takes some trust to wait on the Lord. You know, I told you guys about our last week or so and how we had a lot of things we were dealing with. We're dealing with more actually this weekend. Um, But I can tell you, and I've told a lot of people, we're not shaken. There's like just a calm, unhurriedness in our spirit, in our soul. Why? Because we trust God. Because we're gonna, we, we, we know that he's, he's got everything taken care of. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, many of you guys know this scripture. It says, but those they who wait on the Lord. How many of you guys love that word wait? Anybody love that word wait? They who wait on the Lord. But as those who will renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you're in the middle and you're in a waiting season right now, let me tell you something about trust and, and about waiting. Waiting well reveals your level of trust with God. See, it's actually in how you wait that reveals whether you actually trust or not. Waiting well reveals your trust level. I was listening to a podcast this week on church and theology, and they brought up a couple things I thought was important to share with you guys. And the first one was this question that many of us have probably had before especially if you're in the middle time, especially if you're in the middle season where you're like, why doesn't God just show up and answer the prayer? Why doesn't God just make himself known? Why doesn't he just appear like, and, and answer things? Has anybody ever wondered that before? It's like, why do we even have a middle? Why can't God just do what he promises? Why can't he just do it? And one of the things that they shared as a possible reason why is because so many times in other areas of life, it's actually the pressure moments that bring out things in us that we never even knew were there. I mean, think about sports. How many of you guys have ever been playing a sport before and you're in the heat of the moment and all of a sudden you do something that you, couldn't, you didn't do in practice, you didn't do in training, but all of a sudden if you're in the heat of the moment of competition and pressure, you do something you never thought you could do before. Or think about this in a negative sense. If like there's a, a car accident or something like that and people have this dump of adrenaline where they can gum, come and, and lift off the car off somebody because of adrenaline. Like they could never do it any other way. But in that moment, all of a sudden something that was possible before is now revealed that they never would have known had they not been in that situation. In a similar way, I believe that there are things that can only come out of us in the weight that can't come out any other way. And so what happens is people try to go around the weight, they try to go around the middle, they try to skip over the middle, they try to talk themselves out of the middle, they distract themselves in the middle, and they miss what God wants to bring to the surface. And what happens is they have to end up going through another middle later on. <laughs> because God still God knows what's in you even if you do not know it's there. And he, he's creating opportunities. Now, God doesn't create everything that happens in life. I'm not saying that God puts sickness on. He doesn't do any of that. But he does create these opportunities for us that 
Things can happen that they wouldn't otherwise happen. But the second thing is this, and I thought this was very interesting, that time itself is a creature that God created for us. God didn't have to make time. God exists outside of time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. There's no beginning. There's no end. God doesn't need time. God created time for us. It's kind of like the Sabbath. You know, the, the Sabbath, you know, Jesus said, well, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And in a similar way, time was made for you. Time, God made time for us because we need time. But we also need different types of time. Because if all we had were the same kinds of time, we would miss out on part of what time does for us. Let me explain. Somebody said it this way. Because of time, we don't experience everything at once. Think about this. Because of time and the way time happens, things are spread out in their happenings because of time, because of the way we experience time. And because of that, we have seasons, we have divine encounters, but because of that, we also have waiting times. And each kind of time are a type of time that God created for us because we need it. And if all you have are the high moments and the immediate answered prayers, you would miss out on part of what God wants to gift to you that can only happen through different types of time. That's why the scripture said in the fullness of time. Because without the fullness of time, something would have been lacking. And what I'm saying is some of us have been fighting the middle. We've been fighting the weight. But what if it's actually in the weight that God is bringing you a gift? What if he's gifting you something by the way that can only happen in that way and in that time? And you've been fighting it, trying to get around it, trying to skip over it. But what if there's something in the weight and in the middle that you can only get that way? And God knows you need it. But here's the truth. You can wait in a way that honors God or you can wait in a way that feeds your flesh. You get to decide how you wait. And here's, here's something else you need to know. It doesn't just affect you, but there are other people watching how you wait. The world is watching how we wait. Your kids are watching how you wait. Your spouse is watching how you wait. Your friends are watching how you wait. And they're wondering this question. Does it really work to trust God? Because a lot of people are really good at talking about trusting God. But does it really work? I mean, do they really live this out? Or when it comes time for their time, do they really even apply God's word? Or are they moved off of agreement with God? Does it really work? And you know, sadly, I see a lot of people who it is just a bunch of talk. It is just a lot of talk. But I know there are some people in this room who says, you know what? I am going to trust God in the wait. And it does work. But there are people that are wondering, is there really a peace that passes understanding that will guard your heart and mind in times of trouble? Is there really a joy unspeakable and full of glory, no matter what trial you're going through? Does it really work? Or is it all a bunch of talk? Because it's easy to preach sermons, isn't it? It's easy for us to make Facebook posts, isn't it? It's another thing for us to really live it out. And I'm, I'm just telling you, 
There is a peace that passes all understanding, that guards hearts and minds. I'm experiencing it. There is a joy that passes, that, that, that is unspeakable and full of glory. There is. We just have to choose to trust. And the truth is, only trusting people can wait and not fear. Because if you don't trust during the wait, you'll come up with all the what ifs. And there are plenty to be had. But it's only trusting people that can wait and not fear. And you might be here and you might say, well, oh, I don't fear. I don't have fear. I, I just, I'm a worrier. I just, I just, you know, I just, it's been passed down to me. I just kind of worry all the time. And how many of you guys know a worrier? It's not you. Just go ahead and raise your hand. You know, you know a worrier. Okay, I'm just a worrier. Dwayne, Pastor Dwayne Vanderklok put it this way. He said, worry is just fear in its infancy. And if you let worry come into your life as a seed to take root in your heart, guess what it's gonna have? It's gonna grow up into fear. Well, I'm just a worrier. Oh, get rid of it. You don't have to worry. Jesus said, you don't have to worry. You don't have to entertain it. You don't have to give it a home. You can walk by faith. And, and let, me, let me just put this up on the screen because I think this might help some people as well. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. Some of us fear the middle. It's because we don't trust God with it. Some of us fear the unknown. It's because we don't trust God with it. This is just a good litmus test to see, do I really trust God? And here's the good news. That's not meant as, as a condemnation because if something popped up immediately, you're saying, oh my gosh, I am not trusting God. Here's the good news. We can give our fears to God right now. We can do it right now. We can literally say, God, I give my fears to you. And we can have an unhurried, unmoved, unmovable trust with God. Like, oh, I might waver from time to time, but I know where my feet are coming back to. I know where I'm going to be planted. I know where I'm going to be standing when the dust settles. I know where I'm at. I don't have to worry about that. And so as the worship team comes back up, I know this. We're not good at waiting, but God is in the waiting. God, is, God ordains the waiting a lot of times. And it's in the waiting, how we respond to the waiting determines a lot of times how much joy we're going to have in the waiting, but it also at times, it, term, it determines the timeline of the wait. It actually does. How we wait. And so I'm going to read one last scripture to close it out. And it's a scripture that I read as I was just doing my Bible reading this week. And it's, uh, I love this scripture because you can tell that some, he's going through some stuff. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 He's going through some stuff. And you may not have, you know, olive trees and vines and fig trees and stuff like him. But you might have some other situations going on. So insert your other situations as I read this. But watch this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. He lists off all what is true. But then he also comes to verse 18. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on my high places. He's saying, I may be in the middle, but I am telling you, I'm rejoicing in God. I know where I stand and I'm unmoved. I'm unmoved. 
And so I'm going to have us stand up together as we get ready to worship. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to read this scripture one more time. And you can insert whatever's floating around your mind for five seconds. You got the five second rule, okay? You got five seconds to let whatever is swirling around your mind arrive for five seconds. But when we hit verse 18, I want you to attach your faith with this. I want you to attach your faith with this again, that with God, all things are possible. Like this is, this is a, a faith moment. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just, I just do this just to shut out all distractions. I'm gonna read this. You can let that swirl around for a second, but verse 18 is coming. You link your faith with verse 18 when we get there. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Here we go. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. I'm reading it again. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on my high places. What is Habakkuk saying here? He's saying, I may not see it yet, but I have settled it in my heart. Somebody needs to grab a hold of that. I may not see it, but I've settled it. I may not see it, but I've settled it. I'm unmoved. I'm unhurried. I have a disposition in my soul that is, that is oriented towards God as my rock. And I can live without fear in the middle because I trust my God. And in God, I will rejoice. God, I thank you so much that it's in you we can live and move and have our being. And even if we find ourselves in the middle, we can look up and we can see that you're on the scene. Emmanuel, God with us. You are faithful and we know that. We worship you as faithful. Come on, let's worship him one more time.